Hello and welcome to We Are The Weirdos Anti-G, a podcast by Weirdo Zine and Collective. My name is Neil and I'm the editor of this podcast and occasionally I'm the host. Weirdo exists to document and celebrate the experiences, perspectives and contributions of South Asian people in alternative subcultures around the world. We do this for our print zine, articles on our website, events and sharing stories via this podcast. In each episode of We Are The Weirdos Anti-G, we interview a South Asian creative to find out about their journey in the alternative scene and their career to date. Today's guest is Sam Chen Welsh. Sam is the guitarist and one of the founding members of the band Ithaca. Ithaca are a dynamic metal band hailing from London and have been part of the hardcore music scene since their inception in 2012. Their sophomore album, They Fear Us, released in summer of 2022, garnered resounding critical acclaim. Notably, Krang scored the album 5Ks and placed it in second position in their 50 best albums of 2022 list. In this episode, Sam delves into the history of Ithaca from their recent first ever US tour in the summer of 2023 and also the beginnings of the band. Adding from mixed heritage, Sam shares his poignant insights on the evolving landscape of diversity and inclusion within today's metal and alternative music scene. He reflects on how this landscape has transformed and progressed since his formative years as a teenager, discovering metal for the first time. Well, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Really do appreciate that. Thanks for that. having me. It's a pleasure. So, I've got an interesting story about your band. It's probably not that interesting, but I, I discovered you guys in a in a very kind of, um, I suppose, in a different way, really. Um, so, I heard of you guys. I remember reading a glowing review in Kerrang! <laughs> for oh, yeah, uh, nice. Us. I, I, you yeah. know, they gave you uh, five Ks, didn't they? I was like, oh, right, okay, they, they sound interested. Um, and then I attended 2000 Trees Festival this year. Um, it was like Thursday, and I said to my pals, like, oh, can we, like, what am I checking out this band? Um, if they kind of sound interested. <laughs> and I was quite taken back. I really was. Um, I was really, really cool. impressed with your set. And obviously, there were, there were a couple of things besides how sort of visceral and powerful the music was. Uh, you guys opened with, a Hindu mantra. And coming yeah. from a Hindu background, I was wondering, first of all, like, what well, hats off to you for that performance because well, I was just really taken back. <laughs> well, so we're on the we're on the front row, right? We're on the yeah, we're on the front row of the right, so I'm quite near the speaker as well. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing this mantra being blasted out in an environment where I would never expect to hear something like that. Um, and then I have to explain to my friend what that um, what that was. So yeah, I was just wondering, Sam, if you could just like talk to me about that because I'm I'm just curious and fascinated by really yeah i mean i suppose like stepping back the um the origin of it is i would say with this record i in particular i mean all of us in general like the, the kind of meta story of this record is all of us giving can i swear on this by the way sorry yeah go for it yeah, yeah all of us giving a lot less of a shit this time about like well in general just giving less of a shit and feeling like we could authentically I think we all just feel more like ourselves this time and like we're communicating yeah we're just standing in in a lot more authentically and one of the biggest ways that that's represented itself for me is 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 wearing my identity a lot more proudly and um sort of yeah yeah just being more more forthrightly communicating like 
you know, a big part of me and and where I come from is is my Indian ancestry, even though I'm I'm mixed race and basically like white passing, let's be honest. I I didn't I don't really know my British family. I spent way more time with my Indian family and so my Indian heritage is actually extremely important to me. Like, you know, my bar is who was the first first person who taught me how to kind of cook and like I grew up eating Gujarati food and like I <laughs> I can't speak the language, so that's a big a big problem and a big that you know, Bessie. Um, Can you understand it? Yeah, a bit, a bit. I, I actually took Hindi classes for a couple of years to just because I was like, I'm going to learn Gujarati, and all, all my uncles were like, "Don't bother, it's useless. Learn Hindi." And I was like, "Okay, fine," which I think is a very Gujarati response because it's very business minded. So Love yeah, it's, it's like complete, a purely capitalist approach to this thing that for me was about like identity and exploration. Sure. Like, no, don't bother. It's a waste of time. You know, forget it. Yeah, I'm wearing my identity more proudly this time. And um, one way in which that exemplifies itself is like, you know, I wear a chandel on stage and we have this Gangarati um, mantra playing at the beginning of the set. And both of those things in their own ways are a reference to, I, to, to me, like, I feel like I come from a very strong lineage of, of, of Indian women who've like, raised me from my mum to my grandma to her, her mum and the stories that were passed down about all these women and all that there's there's so many strong Indian women in my family who I feel like have kind of yeah been so formative in in making me who I am and the particular arty that that the that the mantra is from was I recorded it um so after my mum passed away um I went to India for a couple of months to do a bit of like sort I guess sort of you know in a very kind of difficult way to kind of I don't know find myself I it, obviously it wasn't my first time in India but um spent spent some really good time out there and I was really I just I just recorded this at the opening on my phone because I'm like this is really really powerful and very very moving and also because it was about beckoning the Marganga you know like the mother goddess I was like, there's something about kind of divine femininity or something. Anyway, I just, I was like, this is really cool. I'm just going to record it because it's a really moving sound. I recorded quite a lot of temple sounds while I was out there, just just from my own memories, if anything else. I didn't know I was going to use them for anything. Then when we were doing the record, we had the title track, They Fear Us, and all these themes were emerging both in that song and across the album when I started to read the lyrics from my vocalist about like divine feminine power, like supplanting patriarchy. And I was like, hmm, there's something in this here. And there's like a drum break bit that I've already put in that I kind of I kind of pitch shifted to sound a bit more like a doll anyway. So I was trying to get a kind of, you know, Indian reference vibe in that track anyway. And so we plonked it in and it's you can hear it um a bit more mushy, but you can hear it in that track. And then um I went to our producer and was like, could you just turn this into like a could we turn this into a kind of cool intro thing? And and he did, and it, and and like we made it as it goes on, it gets way more ominous and sinister, and it becomes way more like overwhelming and suffocating. And then that, in when when that intro is playing, that's when I'm sort of like, for me, not to, I don't know if this sounds a bit like wanky or whatever, but for me, that's when I'm kind of almost like summoning the ancestors. I'm really like intensely like, it's all kind of coming to me, and the the kind of person that I am on stage is like coming out and. I don't know, I'm kind of trying to channel that power. Um, that's why I wear the Chandler as well, because it's, yeah, it's like something my mum wore, something my, my at, at specific time, something that my bar wore every day. That that divine feminine power is extremely important to me, and it's something I'm trying to kind of, yeah, communicate through our music, you know? 
How did the rest of your band react when you were like, and your producer react? I mean, it's, I don't doubt it wasn't anything but positive, but I sort of think yeah. from my experiences, uh, not that I don't think any of the people I've played in bands would, would, would have an issue with it, but I suppose from my world, it's so it's so separate, isn't it? And I just yeah, loved, yeah. I loved the way you brought it together. It, it was a bit of a moment for me, if I'm honest with you, Sam. It was quite, uh, glad, it was quite something. It really, really threw me off. Yeah. So like, yeah, anyway, how did how did your band react to that initially? So, well, I should say just on, on that point specifically, I mean, it's also supposed to be directly confrontational in that exact way. It's like really trying to immediately get the audience into a sense of like, no, 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 we're like a different, what we're trying to do something different here. Like we're immediately trying to take you somewhere else and mm. we stand proudly in who we are. And like, you know, so, so I'm, uh, anyway, I'm just incredibly gratified to hear that it had that because and like any desis who come to the show always come up to me afterwards and they're like what was that all about oh my god and like it's really which is the coolest thing like when we played yeah. birmingham i had like three separate people being like what was that you know what i mean because like, um, <laughs> that's amazing uh your question how would the bandmates react no they were they were they were super i mean i think like the moment when i kind of pulled my phone out and i was like guys i've got this cool recording i think was like a actually a pretty magical moment in the studio because like our vocalist was like oh my god like I can't believe you've been sitting on this the whole time, like, and it just works so perfectly, and it just and it just started, and then the the kind of themes of the album really started to cohere in that moment because we hadn't like our vocalist was getting us there, but we hadn't quite realised that like this was a kind of overarching narrative. So yeah, they were they were super hyped about it. They're really they're super supportive of all this stuff, like anything to do with kind of me representing the culture that I come from, my identity, and all this stuff, like. I don't know they're, they're incredibly supportive also look, i mean if you have not even if you have no idea what it is it's kind of a cool sound it's like interesting and different and like there's another another sort of um please stop me if i'm blabbing but there's another kind of interesting aspect to it which is in in 90s like 90s hardcore fans one of the inspirations for me using it as an intro is actually i don't know if have you heard of the band shelter do you know them they're like a krishna core band and no, they, they have mon they have mantras at the beginning of their sets normally and i saw an old performance of theirs and i was like oh that's interesting but this is like a bunch of white dudes doing it so i wonder what would happen if i actually used not only something that feels more like resonant with the culture that i actually come from but something that i've recorded myself to kind of directly disrupt that thing we actually got asked when we were in the states like are you a krishna core band and i was like no but thank you for asking because it allows me to tell the story of like where this comes from even though as you say i don't i'm not i'm not a hindu i don't identify as a hindu and I, i've not spent loads of time like going to temple when i was growing up it was still a very very important part of like the uh environment in which i was i, I was incubated and you know like watching my, my bar pray and all this sort of stuff it's yeah it's been yeah. around so anyway so the guys were really really supportive and and yeah yeah i think they just think it's cool you know i've, I've not heard the term krishna call before is that um <laughs> like alternative music for uh, people who are practicing Hindus, is that the right term? Yeah, to... it's I'm I'm not an expert in it, but it's a it was a really big scene in the nineties, um, coming out of kind of you know sort of straight edge, 
um, as 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 hardcore went from being more punky to being more like metallic and metal influenced, there were bands like Earth Crisis and stuff who were doing who kind of took the ideals and values of straight edge and vegan and all this and other bands again. Sorry, this is not my field of expertise, but who took that level of seriousness um, to hardcore. And then, and then that became like linked to kind of Krishna consciousness. And Shelter is one of the main Krishna core bands, but there are a few others who really, like, yeah, really explored the ideals of like the uh, yeah, the Hare Krishna movement and that kind of thing. That's really, it's really interesting. interesting. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd recommend checking it out. And they're they're good bands if you're into like if you're at all into metallic hardcore, like they're 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 good bands, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do I do like hardcore to be honest. More um when it comes to nineties stuff, more sort of like post hardcore massive Fugazi fan. So oh, um, sick. So yeah, yeah, you know, just just love them. But um but yeah, absolutely like quicksand and things like that. So probably more more on the post side, but yeah, definitely uh check them out. So speaking definitely. of all things live, Sam, you've just come back from mm. the US tour. Yeah, 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 last Monday, but yeah. How was it? Yeah, it was nuts. It was actually really brilliant, and I—I I don't know. I really didn't know how it was going to go, um, because it was—it was a huge amount of preparation and money and time and hard work to um, to do. But it was, yeah, it was—it was awesome. Like, particularly certain shows in particular, like the New York show, the San Francisco show, Aftershock Festival. Like, they were amazing. Like being in america and being like there's people here who really like your band even though we were, you know we're just playing club shows but like it was just such an eye-opener and also i think i don't know the americans are really receptive to earnestness and so like they were well up for a bit of us i think i don't know like because i i, I give a speech normally when we play live both um reflecting on like um the possibility of healing from trauma oh well you've heard it because you've seen this but you know healing from trauma and, and the importance of diversity and inclusion in parkour and metal. And, like, I don't know, like, I think some of that stuff, or at least people in the conversations I had, that stuff really resonated with people. And I don't know, we had, I, I talked to a lot of people of colour and, like, people from other backgrounds, and I don't know. It was, it was incredibly, incredibly special. And even more than that, I mean, just the travel, you know, driving from one side of the States to the other was an incredible eye-opener. Just, yeah, yeah. mad experience. Absolutely mad. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, well, I'll say a couple of years ago, it's probably like near enough seven or eight years ago now, I travelled the southwest of America. and uh, Wow. Yeah, just the vastness of that. Basically, that trip left me with, you know, that classic feeling of insignificance that every yeah, human yeah. being has. The one, you know, that sort of like, does anything we do matter? That really totally. resonated, but, but totally in a good way, Sam, you know, not even in a bad way. It was just sort of like, Okay, well now I can see that what what I can why it focused me in a really Ew. interesting way. You know, yeah. I just remember standing in like these national parks and going, "Oh my god, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life." Uh, but also uh, recognize my insignificance and yeah, it's it, it, the vastness it changes is crazy. You. It does. The vastness is unbelievable. When we were driving through from like Texas, similar, you know, across the southwest through New Mexico, that yeah, as you say, the vastness of the plains. The like, the sheer power of the kind of weather systems. Like we were caught in these in this enormous storm and like lightning going off and like extraordinary, extraordinary. And yes, yeah. um, yeah, you definitely have a kind of ego death, kind of existential uh, moment for sure. Yeah, ego death. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put that. I think. Let's take it back a little bit. Um, I'm always interested when people say of Asian heritage. Um, get into alternative music whether that's metal 
punk, hip hop, whatever it might be. So could you tell me a little bit about that? How did you get into it all? What were your early influences? Yeah, good question. So I think I've got to initially absolutely credit my dad because he he had a very he had a thin but very very wide music taste, which is kind of similar to how I approach music. Like he listened to just a huge, a vast array of stuff, ranging from you know usual dad rock stuff like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd to like classical music, Django Reinhardt, early Delta Blues, Lauren Hill. You know he had a he just had an extraordinary extraordinarily wide palette of music, but obviously rock music was a massive part of his his um, his taste. And the, the thing, the first time I remember being like, I want to do that is listening to Paperback Writer by the Beatles, actually, which has just got like a decent, you know, it's got a bit, of a bit of a riff. And I was like, it was, that was enormously mind expanding for me. And that was when I was like, yeah, okay, I think I want to do this kind of guitar thing. This, I'm immediately drawn to it. Um, and then there was, then it was just the usual stuff. It was, you know, like it was the, the, the new metal era and like it was, it was very popular kind of. It was it was a very um, important part of the culture at the time, and the kind of skate culture and all this sort of stuff. A really pivotal moment actually was um, when I was a teenager. I was very very religious actually, but not not Hindu at all. I was a I was like an evangelical Christian, and which is a whole other story. But um, in my church, there were like brown guys who really loved metal, and like three of them, and I had never really met anyone else like that before and um and also one of my cousins is as well and so yeah i think i think like through hanging out with some of those older kids at my church that that really got me into a lot of the stuff that really is early influences on on this band you know under oath kill such engage um you have misery signals all those kind of but like that kind of 2000s post hardcore metalcore stuff was yeah that 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 is where i kind of really took that turn but at the same time, throughout that whole period, I think that the biggest thing my dad taught me was to keep an open mind for music in general. So even when I was listening to Misery Signals and Under Oath and whatever, I was still listening to like James Brown. Like I've always been a massive James Brown fan. All sorts of other stuff, you know. But anyway, like keep keeping a keeping a a, a breadth of taste as well. Does that answer your question at all? I don't know if it does. <laughs> yeah, it not. does. It does. Um, it does. I was waiting yeah. for the bell to come in. Actually, I was like, because um, obviously you're. You know, you can't deny the fact that you are a metal band. Um, yeah, for big time. Well, hmm. I was going to get the, a point. I, I think. Ah, uh, exactly. Apart from one notable exception, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we can talk about that actually, because I really like that song. Good, but, Sam. If you don't mind me saying this, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this, but it's a pop song, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a power ballad. Yeah, yeah. You're happy sure. with that, yeah? You're comfortable course, with me saying course. that, yeah, and un- unquestionably, yeah, yeah. No, I, I take that as a compliment, if anything, to be honest. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredibly bold move because it's not even, okay, it's, it's rocky. Where did that come from? Like, and, and that's a bold um, sort of decision to put that on such a, you know, you got some bone-breaking riffs on that album, you know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, yeah. Yeah, so so that that's a bold, bold move. Yeah, I mean, again, um, thank you, by the way. I really appreciate it. I think, like, Hold Me Held came from, again, that sense during during lockdown as i say we just stopped giving a shit like we re- i think i've said this in a few other interviews but for me like the the veil between this life and the next felt extremely thin like gen- seriously you know like i really felt like and i think i, I like because of my mum passing and stuff i have a natural propensity towards kind of 
feeling like, you know, life is short. There is not loads of time that we have here. And that was a kind of very prevalent atmosphere for me during COVID. And so what I was just like, I'm just going to write what I want. I'm just going to write what I want. And and really, I don't care. And also, I think people will get it because people, because genres are collapsing. You know, all the boundaries are collapsing. Zoomers don't care about genres, really, or it doesn't seem to me like they do. You know, it's like the the, the tide is turning away from like, you're a metal band, so you write this. It's like, no one cares about that anymore. That's so dead. And I was like, I, as long as you're, st- I think as long as you're standing in something authentically, you can do what you like. And we as a band are very, very, we love pop music and we mostly listen to pop music in the van. I love like 90s power ballads, particularly R&B power ballads. So like New Edition, Boys to Men, Bobby Brown, um, like Tevin Campbell, people like that. Like so much of that stuff um, is, is, yeah is an absolute bit of me and also when i was thinking of that song i was i was like you know the arc of the album is also about the possibility of healing from trauma it's not just about like staring into the abyss and oh i feel really shit and it's like because that's fine that's very very absolutely valid i feel like there's a hundred metal bands who offer you that like that experience whereas we in particular we particularly were trying to say like you know through deep inner work and through healing you can rebuild like things can things can be better so yeah we we were just trying to trying to offer that sense of like hope a sound that is genuinely nostalgic so that it does kind of give you that sense of warmth and kind of you know almost like self-parenting which is a practice that i've learned through therapy and it's music also that reminds me of my mom it's the kind of music we listen to together so like michael bolton celine dion and all that sort of stuff you know that was very whitney houston that was the stuff we would listen to together. So, yeah, I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to write. I'm just going to see how this goes. And it was funny because it started as like a kind of boring post-rock interlude. And I was like, oh, these are so dead, these post-rock interludes. Like, we need to stop. So what could I do? And I just was naffing around with my chorus pedal. And I was like, aha, here we go. Power ballad C. Let's do it. So, yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm very sorry to hear about your mum. Um, I know no, probably like to lose a parent as well. So once again, go back to that insignificance and uh, life's too short, all that kind of stuff. I get it. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's really really interesting, and I love the the thing you said. Zoom as uh, a genreless. I, I mean, when I was growing up, I'm like 37 yeah. now, right? Right. But um, when I was growing up, it was like you couldn't even be into metal and punk. We were obsessed. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was it. The lanes were so brutally like, yeah, you were a metal person, or you were this, or you you were grunger, or you were like everything else, and it was like, yeah, literally, yeah, yeah, and you hated NSYNC, and you hated the Backstreet Boys, and you hated Britney Spears, like that was the like. Oh my the god, that was like that era. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't even like you couldn't even talk about that. But, Unthinkable, um... exactly. And now we've all grown up and realised that that was some of the most extraordinarily well-written music ever. Like, Max Martin pop is, like, fundamentally genius music because we all just got over ourselves and realised, you know, and, like, of of there are many, many problems with the way that music is in the modern era. But the thing I, th- I'm, I think is by far the coolest and most exciting is that element of, like, genuine appreciation for almost all music and all genres as like valid art it's so much better than what we yeah in the in the late 90s early noughties we were such punishers about stuff and it's like get get rid you know 
yeah, you called it a power ballad, so I'll call it a power ballad. The power ballad that closes your album, even though it's not the same kind of feel or genre, but a turnstile, when they release Go On, they've got like three or four tracks on there. They're exactly. essentially R&B songs. And I Absolutely. don't think they have any qualms with that whatsoever. Absolutely. When that record came out, we were like in nearly finished with the album. And I was like, right, the door's open now. It's all it's all go now. Like, whatever, yeah. all bets are off. Like, we can do what we like. The door, like, the, I really felt like those guys kicked down. In 10 years, we're going to really look back at like how critical that album was for like letting us all be who we wanted to be. And yeah. then it was like Soul Glow's record came out and Zulu came out and it was like suddenly, yeah, all genre bets were off. It was just about like, it, does your album slap or does it not slap? And it was like, yeah, That's it. it was it, formative. For, for me, I was like, this is critical for like the permission to do what I like, you know? 100%. Did you did you by any chance, I'm trying to think, there might have been on a different day to you guys, but did you did you see Zulu? Or have you seen Zulu? I've, I was lucky enough to see Zulu last year at New River Studios in Tottenham, so a tiny little sweat box, and it was fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They're so great, and the lineup was so weird that night in a good way, and like, yeah. oh, so good. And I saw Soul Go uh, last year, I think, at Boston Music Rooms. Also amazing. It's just... Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's just, what a time. What a time. Uh, just seeing Zulu trees, it just reminded me. Just we were once again on the front row in this tiny tent. And oh my God, it was just like every time I had that kick pedal was used, everyone sort of took yeah, a step yeah. back. Oh, it was that yeah. like, like it, it just, there might, there was, might have been no point for my earplugs that um, day, but amazing. Uh, yeah. And again, the R&B interludes, like, yeah, all best just, rock now. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Love it. Love it. So you, you've t- touched a little bit on um, playing guitar, but I suppose, you know, you, you've got, from what I can hear from what you've recorded anyway, you've got a very particular style. For me, probably because I'm a massive fan, um, I hear a lot of Deftones, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that yeah. chugginess, particular Diamond Eyes era Deftones, maybe on this particular album anyway. Sure. What, what got you, I, I, I can see what got you into guitar, but what got you, what, what made yeah. you want to and writing songs and all that stuff? Yeah, totally. So... Again, yeah, when I, when I was a young teenager, I was like, yeah, I was into rock. Into I was a grand, proper grunger, you know, I was like in that world, doing that life. I was like, I, you know, can I, I asked my parents, like, can I have like guitar lessons? And I went to my guitar, I went to a teacher and he was this really lovely guy, this, this ex-punk guy who was in like a kind of funk band. I, I brought my acoustic guitar and I saw his bass and I was like, oh, can I have a noodle on that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, this is cool. And now people will not know, but like Red Hot Chili Peppers were very much the style at the time. And so I was like, yeah, let's do like bass and like slap bass. And that felt like a kind of, you know, so I, I I played, I was much more like a bassist than I was a guitarist for many, many years. And then I would say, again, not like I owe it a lot. Like it was actually playing in bands at church that got me back into playing guitar um, and that that taught me loads about like playing those those kind of horrendous Christian rock songs. Taught me a lot about like basics of chord progressions, like basic songwriting. You know, like how a decent song is structured. And I still think I don't know if this sounds really arrogant, but I still think we structure our songs pretty well. Like they have quite good. Like a section very rarely outstays its welcome because because all of us in different ways. But I think you know I, I have that ear for like. That I think those church songs helped me just be like, no, 
bang, 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 bang. Like this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit, done. You know, like you can't faff around, you know. So this is very specific to this world, yeah. So it's like the 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 church tradition that, that was in. So meant, a lot of people are familiar with like Church of England, which is like C of E, old people playing an organ. It's not that. It's much more the kind of young, quote unquote, like I was in like a youth group in the evangelical church. And so the the guys would, you know, the, the band, there would be a band, first of all, which is very different, like with drums, bass and guitar, playing a kind of COD U2 kind of Americanized, it, it's very American influence that came over to the UK in the 90s. And there's, and there's like a big mega church called Hillsong from Australia that really took it off that people might be familiar with because they've been mired in scandal for the last few years, lol. That's the kind of genre influence is kind of, yeah, U2, Coldplay arena rock kind of stuff, but even worse and even more cheesy. Some of the songs are were good songs, I have to admit, even even in my kind of cringe retrospect. But yeah, that's the sort of that's the sort of vibe, like big delay pedal kind of situations okay. and yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting to me. I know I know Christian Rock is a thing. I'm a YouTube fan. I know Unfortunately YouTube, it is. Um yeah. so I'm I'm aware of their kind of Christianness, if you will. Um I just yeah. don't know much about it. So I think maybe a lot of our listeners might not know much about that either. So no, it's wild. It's wild. Good. I mean obviously that's only one aspect of it, you know, like like the, the I would say whenever people if people ask me who my favourite guitar players are, I always say like Tom Morello, because he was completely like Rage Against the Machine Rips taught me how to play bass and that was like you know, I yeah, I really became like a deep half decent bass player learning that whole album and soul. Yeah, Tom Morello, um, Ben Weinman from Dim Escape Plan, because obviously, like, it's just breathtaking. Um, that explains a lot. <laughs> Brett, yeah, it does, right? Um, Brett Hines from Mastodon, which also explains a lot, and then yep. Prince. And I think, hopefully, I tried to this on this album, I tried to chuck in more Prince than I usually would. Um, because I, I like you know, Prince is a print. Oh, I'm even wearing a t shirt today. Um, I noticed <laughs> formative, formative influence on me in many ways and in many aspects of, of my life. But, but yeah, I'm on my guitar playing as well, for sure. Really interesting. Did you ever get to see Prince? Twice, mate. Twice. Oh, sorry, once. I, once. I, 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 I wish, <laughs> I wish, I, I wish, I, like, I hate to brag, but like it's one of my things that I'm most delighted about. So I saw, I saw him once during the, um, the O2 run. And then the second time I saw him was actually a really random one. I saw him at this weird festival in Kent called Hop Farm. And like the day before I saw they still had day tickets for like 40 quid. And I was like, obviously I'm going to go to that. So I just pootled down in my little Ford Fiesta in like 2011. And it was comfortably one of the best gigs I've ever been to. You play for nearly three hours, um, hits, non-hits. He did this whole middle bit where, where because Larry Graham from Sly and the Family Stone had played earlier in the day, and he got Larry Graham's come out, and they did a load of covers and like Sly and the Family Stone songs. It was just bonkers, fucking bonkers. So yeah, I'm very that glad all to say I did. It was Gosh. incredible, incredible. I saw him at that talk. It was Third Eye Girl, I think, when he had the full girl bands, and oh yeah, that was yeah. The, he was 40 minutes late, paid no hits. He paid like the opening intro to When Doves Cry, just went like that. <laughs> and then just like <laughs> something else. Perfect. Loved it. Didn't give a he did that, when he did that at the O2, he like played a sample of, played a, he, he just played that book, just of When Doves Cry. And everyone was like, hey, and he was like, I got so many hits. I didn't even play that one. I just moved yeah. on. He must have a funny thing with that tune where he's like, I'm never going to play it. You'll never really play it. 
yeah <laughs> yeah wicked um okay so with you know with all that in mind um how did Ithaca come about was this your doing or uh, you and another member of your band pretty or? much yeah to be honest it it, it kind of was in the, in the very early stages yeah um I'd I, you know since I was I'd properly gotten to guitar I'd always wanted to be in a band particularly a metal band because yeah metal you know really kicked in and that was a, a huge thing for me particularly in my teenage years um we had been fanning about a few of us from school um you know over summers and and like in the music room during GCSE and all this sort of stuff for like for years we've been kind of kneeling around and maybe we'll do something and blah 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 um but after I, after I graduated from uni I was like right I want to do this band thing let's try and make it happen are you up for it and Lewis um our drummer he's my 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 best mate and um Will are the guitarist who I'm also very good friends with he's uh from both from school um I was like yeah should we make this happen and we just put an uh, I mean we I just put a terrible ad on a on a like find my band member website because I had no idea what I was doing I was like I'm not really connected in the scene I don't know anyone I'm not like cool I don't know anyone how am I going to find band members um so yeah I just put in put an ad up and thank god one of the people who replied was Jamila our, our, our current vocalist and our old bass player Drew and yeah, that was it basically. We just sort of started started building out from there. So yeah, we got incredibly lucky. Did Did you have any intention of having a female fronted band, or was that just? Uh, did you ever audition any male fronted singers? I'm just curious, really. Just... No, no. Thank God she was the she was the best person who replied. I mean, because we had a couple of people who were like, was, yeah, like, there was a there was a person who was who was like, oh yeah, I just like really love PJ Harvey. I was like, okay we're kind of more like a metal thing. Is that all right? And and they were like, yeah, 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 definitely. You know? Yeah. And I just like really love PJ Harvey. And I was like, <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not quite talking the same language here. Anyway. Um, yeah. No, Jamila replied. I mean, I'd put some quite weird and specific, not weird, but you know, some quite specific niche bands on there to kind of hopefully filter people down more. And, and Jamila responded being like, oh yeah, I love those bands, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow. Okay. This is really interesting. And when she was like, oh, lol, I'm also a girl. I was like, well, firstly, I was like, this is actually brilliant because I really would love to like be in a band to uplift someone. You know, it, it really wasn't very common back then, you know. Still isn't, is it really? It still isn't so, relatively yeah, at yeah. all. But 2012, you know, you can imagine it was like, or, or whatever. Yeah, 2012, even, it was like very, very rare. Uh, particularly, in, in, particularly in this genre, I would say. That would, exactly, you know, exactly. Oh, just... totally. S screaming vocalists. I mean, yeah, there were so few. I mean, as I say, there was a band called Veils who I put um, as one of the kind of, for, you know, if you like these three bands, that's what I want to do. Um, and they had a, a female vocalist. I and mean, I don't know if that, like, gave her the sense that, like, we were really up for that, <laughs> you know, but they were one of very few bands um you know, at all, who, who did have a, a female vocalist. But yeah, no, I, I was actually, not in a weird way, but I was super psyched, to be honest. I was like, great, like, this actually, again, it's another thing that's going to, another thing that's going to make us different, another thing that's going to represent, like, our values as a band in terms of, like, representation and uplifting different voices, like, brilliant, here we go, you know? And I was like, all that mattered was, like, could she, could she scream? And she, turns out she screamed incredibly well, so, yeah, it was a done deal. Yeah, unbelievable vocalist, unbelievable. Yeah, insane, insane. I think I may have mentioned this in my initial email to you, but you um you said quite a powerful speech, speech, 
talk to the crowd to the little right hand views there is it's like sermon speech <laughs> so, boring <laughs> earnest punishery ramblings anyway yeah one I mean, of those you, things you address the crowd <laughs> yeah with, I, I, um, I chatted I blabs yeah <laughs> about diversity in metal alternative music whatever you want yeah. to call it um do you think it's becoming more inclusive um definitely Sure. Sorry, answer up the question. No, so sorry. no, that's fine. You're too fine. keen, too keen. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's kind of a double question, really. Do you think it's becoming increasingly inclusive, which I think you do? Well, you can expand on that, of course. But also, where are the, so where do you think the problems still are? Why, why are we still not there? One one of the things I've started building into the little speech recently is that I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding. I think like contemporary language around diversity and inclusion and DNI and the kind of HR of it all, I think has really confused people about what we're really trying to even do here. I think in general, there's a bit of a ham-fistedness around those concepts, which which we need to kind of revisit. And like, I think we need to kind of take a step back and understand what we're really trying to do in general with the kind of diversity and inclusion conversation. But I can definitely speak with some knowledge in the, in the kind of rock and metal um, and hardcore space. I think a lot of people really have got confused about about like the idea of diversity is just sort of a tick box exercise or kind of something that's being forced upon them is like oh we have to be diverse we have to do this and I'm like guys I don't think you under- I don't think people understand why people fight for this it's not just some kind of um, census data thing in in rock and metal like in particular like this is a niche genre that is very very fragile and like we know look at like if you look at the kind of feature projections for the, for this genre they are very poor like iron maiden are gonna die one day metallica are gonna die, are gonna die one day sorry to be bleak but it's like what that what the hell then happens to like the metal industry like there is what is the future for these festivals what is the future for the entire kind of cottage industry and the economy around the genre like i, I heard someone really astute sorry that's that, a like, really good point i've never thought about that but that is no, that is a I really, wish I really claim good point for there's much wiser people than me who've said this before honestly but it's like i had i read a, a great a great metal journalist who i wish i could remember who it was who said this but like the metal is going to go the way of jazz which is where it's going to wither on the outside and flourish on the inside which is cool but it's like we know where jazz, i mean jazz is actually now a bad example when he was writing at the time i think jazz felt way less jazz is now like actually one of the most exciting genres in the world thank god for our kind of southeast london like icons and the kind of tomorrow's warriors and all that sort of thing has massively revived the, uh, the the kind of um uh engagement with jazz but that was only because people forget it was only because a, there were active programs to redistribute resources to young people to get them into jazz and give them access to those spaces. Like Tomorrow's Warriors and that whole scene was like a diversity program, basically. Not 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 in the kind of obviously it was also about merit. They were incredibly talented musicians, but it's like that's the difference, isn't it? That's where I think people get confused. They think that diversity programs are just yeah, just these kind of these boring things by it's like no it's about redistribution of access and resources and power it's fundamentally it's a question of power and like are you giving people opportunity to express their art like it's not just about you know like it's not a a passive thing it's a proactive thing that i think is 
is the thing that deeply deeply concerns me about this conversation is that people don't yeah people think it's an obligation rather than the only thing that we can do to keep rock and metal alive like in my opinion like otherwise it's going to die like it's going to die we cannot rely passively on architects and bring me the horizon to prop up the industry we need more diverse voices i'm sorry but you know like it's not going to happen like we need people of color we need women we need queer people like we need to expand our audience beyond the same pool you know like because the gene the kind of gene pool the audience for metal and rock is shrinking it seems to me rather than than expanding until and, and and they're not not necessarily my favorite band but you know like sleep token have massively because they've completely come around the other way or, you know what i mean they like they, they're not diverse in terms of representation but they are diverse in terms of genre and they understand kind of contemporary use of social media and that kind of thing like they have exploded the whole thing again and to me that is a really telling turnstile it's a fab, fabulous example soul blow zulu all these bands to me are extremely indicative examples of like how you expand beyond the typical barriers and do what new metal did. Like the reason why new metal was so popular, even though a lot of the music was horrendous was because it managed to have a level of kind of mainstream appeal. It had an understanding of kind of brand of aesthetic of star power, whatever else it is. And to me, nurturing different voices is how we crack that code you know like bringing people in who are like oh they've got a whole new perspective on this metal thing like wow that's actually interesting and cool and like the it the, the art is in is enriched by them being here you know so that sorry to go out and get on my sidebox about it but i'm just like i feel like i hear so much like blase kind of communication about diversity from from exhausted people who just don't really know what why like, what's the long view of this of this work, you know? So, see, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like the whole metal thing, right? Like metal's got such a white man over sixty vibe to it, right? So for sure, maiden go, priest go, that's it. You've lost the whole market. When exactly. Metallica go, jeez, that's We're massive. Fucked. That is, and then when Slipknot. Slipknot when Slipknot get too old to do it, like, what the hell are we going to do? I mean, I'm, you know, seriously, like, 20 years, like, what the, where the hell are we going to be? You know, like, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we've got to think long term. Maybe what we, what we were talking about earlier about sort of the breaking down of genres and putting a pop ballad at the end of your album is, is where it needs to go. Well, you know, I'm maybe biased. these best. <laughs> I'd say yes. Because <laughs> obviously. Mean, maybe yeah. that's how Download will look in 10 years, you know? Who knows? I Exactly. I, I kind of welcome that, to be honest. I mean, I mean, like, the what excited me most and where I really was like, Mm, this year was looking at the Outbreak Fest lineup. Do you know Outbreak Fest? Is yeah, that... yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, this this guys is how we crack the code like and it's not reinventing the wheel like outbreak for, for people listening who don't know like is, is a, a very well respected uk proper hardcore hardcore festival like a hardcore fans festival it's like full stage diving like you know a lot of really traditional hardcore straight down the line um and they booked a lot of those bands, and that's amazing. You know, like for example, Jesus Peace, who also have diverse representation, but and Zulu and all those other cool bands, the Code Orange, etc. And they booked a load of of like really heavy hip hop acts. So I think it was like JPEG Mafia, Death Grips, L Sweatshirt, 
And I looked at that and I was like, yes, exactly. Like that is how we respond to the changing of the tide is by following following the like where things are clearly going and breaking down our own genre barriers within our festivals and being like, these are all, we know that like, so if I, I, for example, of course I listen to Death Grips and of course I listen to Elsewhere Shirt just as much as I listen to Code Orange because that's just what we do these days. That's just what it's like. So, you know, I saw that lineup and I was like, I, ha- I, I annoyingly, I couldn't go, but I was like desperate to get a ticket because I was like, yes, this is the exact intersection of all my interests. And when I listen to like, you know, what, like Playboy Carter even, I'm like, this is really heavy hip hop music. Like there's no reason why this wouldn't fit on a metal festival bill. The only people who really get annoyed about it, unfortunately, are the bloody metal fans. That's the, that they are the ones who really seem to be standing in the way of some of them, really some of them, I have to be clear, like not all of them. Like we're talking about, as you say, the very old school white male contingent who really just think metal is one thing always has been which obviously is fucking bollocks if you have any even cursory knowledge of metal it's never just been bullet belts and long hair it's like always been radically reinventing itself but these people seem to ignore that um so yeah it's it's for me it's about like just risk taking is the fundamental answer to all of it take risks book hip-hop but i want to see Tyler the Creator on a download lineup. Honestly, I do. Like, I'm like, why not? Why the fuck not? Everyone who goes there likes him. Why wouldn't they go? You know, like, if you like Room of the Horizon, you absolutely like Tyler the Creator. I'm sorry. Like, j- just do it. Just take a punt. I'm not yeah. saying for the whole weekend. Just try it for one of the days so that you can prop up your sales and subsidize the young metal bands. Like, to me, that makes, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, to me, that's just like how this has got to go. I don't, yeah. again, I'm no, just no, I, I think, no, no, no. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah, outbreak killed it. I mean, Denzel Curry as well was Denzel Curry. Oh my god, know. incredible, just incredible. But the I mean, I'm a bit of a hip hop enthusiast as well. So like, I've been to my fair share of hip hop gigs, and uh, yeah, just like I, loads the, of hardcore fans. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's pit. There's people jumping around. You know, there's broken noses. There's people think it's the same shit. Yeah, when I watch videos from like Rolling Loud and stuff, I'm like, this is way more exciting. These guys are way more excited than like the download crowd. They are going absolutely fucking bananas. Like they're moshing like we used to in the '90s for like Limp Biscuit and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like the crowds, the mosh pit, and they love the mosh pits. They're like, oh, mosh pit cam and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, why are we? Not not in a bad way, but I'm like you know what I mean. I really feel like they like the hip hop fans are the ones who are going nuts in the crowds these days, and they love that culture of like crowd participation that used to belong to us. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's very telling for me. It's like of course these worlds can intersect. Yeah, hundred percent. You're giving me so much to, to think about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh no no, it's fine it's fine. Sam. Thank you so much uh, for this. Um, It's been great. Really, really good talking to you. Yeah, mate. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to We Are The Weirdos Anti-Chief, a podcast by Weirdo Zine and Collective. Weirdo is a volunteer-run project that was created to document and celebrate the experiences, perspectives, and contributions of South Asian people in alternative subcultures across the diaspora and Indian subcontinent. If you want to find out more about us, join our collective or support our work, visit our website, weirdozine.com and follow us on Instagram at weirdo.zine.
official.